This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about redemption, recovery, and reckoning. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Tonight is episode number 15 the best way out. Wow. Can you imagine that we've already gotten 15 of these episodes done? That's, uh, one a week pretty much is, um, almost four months. That's great. I'm really excited. And I hope that those of you who are listening will do me a favor this Christmas holiday and Hanukkah and every other religious holiday that might be celebrated this month. I would love it if if you would just simply pass this on to one person, um, if you think it's worthy of that. If not, please don't pass it on. But but I would like the word to get spread, if possible, to other folks who might find some comfort in in this podcast as the holidays approach, and we need to keep our program strong and our community strong. So that would be my my Christmas wish: is just pass this on to one person who might find it helpful. As always, there are four things I'd like to to bring up. Number one, this is not an AA meeting. It is merely a supplement to your program or a a comforting voice. If you're alone, you're on the road, if you're somewhere where you can't get to a meeting or can't call your sponsor, but maybe you've got a moment to listen to a podcast, I hope this can bring you some comfort and some, some insight into your program. And then maybe you can help one other person with it as well. Number two, I'm not a mental health professional. I am uh, not skilled or trained in any of the medical arts, so to speak, or or any quasi-medical art. (laughs) I am a professional, but I am not a mental health professional. And I certainly encourage everyone who listens to this podcast and to, to... have a strong mental health and and emotional spiritual program in addition to your recovery program or in concert with your recovery program. I've spoken about this many times. I, I see a therapist every week, and she's awesome. She is very, very important to me. Number three, um, I have never accepted any kind of compensation or remuneration. It's funny because the program that creates this uh, podcast for me is has these reminders that, hey, you can get sponsors for this. You can get people to pay for your podcast and pay you for the podcast if you will just read an advertisement or something like that. And I have said this. I hope this doesn't become the death knell of this podcast, but – I will never accept money for this podcast, nor will I accept any kind of compensation for for the podcast. This is my form of service. I would love to see this branch out into you know something bigger, perhaps in terms of the platform. But for now, it's it's it is something. It is just my way of giving back, and I I don't ever plan to accept any kind of money for this podcast. So I want people to always know it's free. And it is unencumbered by sponsorships or anything like that. Not that, that there's anything wrong with that, but just 
you know, this is this is anonymous and this is free and it is my way of giving back. And with that said, number four is anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. And not only do I want to keep personalities out of it in terms of um, press, radio, and film by maintaining my anonymity, um, but also um, I do ask that everyone in this community, this sub-community as it were, the podcast universe, um, please respect my anonymity and please respect the anonymity of all of the other folks who come into this world uh, in the recovery world, and and that's that's important. And I promise you that I will always maintain your um, anonymity and your confidences. So, with that said, let's let's tee off on this fifteenth episode. I was born actually on the fifteenth day of of the month, so I don't know. Maybe that's kind of cool. Maybe it's just random. But I, I want to keep it old school, and I want to keep our plan of literature and, and thinking in in, con, in conjunction with the old school readings as well. So I'm going to start this podcast out by reading from Touchstones for December 3rd. Sometimes I go out about pitying myself and all the time I'm being carried on great winds across the sky. And that's from Ojibwe. Ojibwe. Ah, poor me, we sometimes say. I have to work so hard. I have so much stress. I mean, who of us hasn't said that? If only my problem with money would get better, then I would be content. I just don't understand women. Why can't my family, or men, uh, why can't my family have fewer troubles? This attitude of self-pity is as ancient as humanity. The Ojibwe recognize blindness to the spiritual path. Every man has problems and challenges, and, and let me just pause for a second and say I'm reading from Touchstones, and that is a male-centric book in terms of it was, I think, written for men in recovery. Uh, but I think it applies to men and women, so I'm kind of inserting men and women. Um, so I hope nobody is turned off by that, but um, I'm trying to make it more gender neutral here. Self-pity becomes a stumbling block when we get so narrowly focused upon our problems. We forget we are a part of a whole throng of fellow pilgrims on this path. It helps to notice others beside ourselves who are seeking courage to live their lives. Sometimes we reawaken our awareness of our higher power by seeing that we are carried on great winds across the sky. We have many blessings. We are not alone. Often within problems, we discover our greatest blessings. And then it finishes with a prayer as each touchstones segment does. God, help me find the spiritual path and the choices I make today. Help me turn away from self-pity. And I chose this, one, because it's the day of the week that we're on, but two, is that I thought, it, gosh, it just, it, it, it really spoke to me about self-pity. And, and I would say the, the, the three horsemen of the recovery apocalypse as it were or the the three horsemen of of relapsing and slip slipping and things like that in the holidays are um i mean i'm i'm sure there're lots of horsemen actually there's an entire cavalry of horsemen but but the ones that come to mind for me are loneliness self-pity 
and of course, um, slippery places. So I thought this was appropriate that it was talking about the self pity because you think about it, it's like a cycle, you know, where you could be in. You could be alone on Mount Everest, and and you're not lonely. You know, it's solitude. It's not loneliness. Or you could be sitting in the center of New York City or London or Shanghai or somewhere just teeming with people and be more alone and afraid and, 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 and isolated than you've ever felt in the wilderness. I've always felt that New York City, which I love so much and I have such a great relationship with, and have had such a up and down history with too. Um, I've always felt it could be the the loneliest city in the world, and it's lonely because of that second horseman of of self pity. You know, you sit there and you see comparison, the wood the wood of the should have's the you see all those families sitting there looking in uh, Saks Fifth Avenue or Macy's, whatever, where they have all those Christmas windows and the big tree and it's love and it's joy and people partying together and you just think, you know, I should be part of that. I'm not part of that. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You don't feel great about where you are in life. Maybe you should have made more money. Maybe you should have been thinner than you are. Maybe you should have been taller than you are or have longer hair or shorter hair or something. Who knows what you should have done. Maybe you should have made partner sooner in a firm or been chief of surgery by now. Or maybe you should have not not screwed your entire life up by drinking yourself into the gutter or whatever, all those shouldas, you know, and you're just sitting there, you know, you just think about like that overcoat that smells like cigarettes that's wrapped around you and, you know, it's got stains from food on it and you're trudging down the street and your bags under your eyes and you're just looking at all these merrymakers. I mean, to put a little bit of funny on it, it's like, you know, that scene in the movie uh, Trading Places that's so awesome where uh, Winthorpe has really hit rock bottom <laughs> and he's he's in the Santa costume and he's just, it's raining and he's just, you know, he's got the salmon in his, in his, <laughs> in his coat and, um, there's a lot of times when I felt like that, you know, I mean, hell, I had plenty of money in the pocket necessarily, but I'm sitting in some hamburger place at one thirty-five in the morning with an overcoat on, you know, and you're just kind of like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't even live here. I'm in New York. I'm alone and drunk. And you're just like, man, this isn't where I want to be in life, you know, and maybe you see some family coming home from the holiday party or from, from a show or something. And you're just like, well, I've really, where should I be? So, so you've got that self-pity and then loneliness. And then, of course, the slippery places. I mean, is there any time of the year, maybe 4th of July or Labor Day or something, is there any time of the year that is more just soaked in booze than the holidays, than the Christmas holidays? I mean, it's eggnog with booze in it. It's It's spiced rum. It's... It's hell, even Clarence, the angel in It's a Wonderful Life, had a drink at the bar. Remember at Nick's when they go in there when they were supposed to be at um um oh gosh, Martini's. Martini's place with Jimmy Stewart, and he takes Clarence the Angel in there, but it's not Martini's anymore. It's it's Nick's bar. And they get thrown out and punched and everything, you know, and, and um but even they're in there drinking, you know? And and you think is there any time of the year that's more just soaked in booze, the rum cake, all of it just soaked? So it's, it, it is, 
it's like we, we, we dove off a high dive into a punch bowl filled with alcohol. And um, it's tough. It's tough. You know, there's a lot of slipping, a lot of icy, slippery places to go. You got to be careful. So I think, you know, for this next couple of weeks, I think we're keeping it old school and we're and we're keeping it um, we're keeping it keeping it real. And we're talking about the, 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 the those those issues. So I thought we would start start with that and just and just kind of have a dialogue about it. Um, and with that said, I think a great place to start with self-pity is to think about the the advice my sponsor gave me today, which is like, you know, you sound awesome. And he sounds awesome. And he said, okay, now quit being awesome yourself and call another person who's hurting. Get out there and do something good. And like I said, he is old school when it comes to um, – and hardcore when it comes to the steps, when it comes to messing around. And and I love it because he's, he's always there with the right words for me. And he knows what I need. And and, um, and just tell me, go out and do something good. Call somebody up who's hurting. You know, pick up the phone and call another alcoholic. Just dial someone and say, hey, you doing okay? So so that's where um, that's where I am today is a way to, to deal with self-pity is go help somebody else. And I thought, you know, I've read this before, but why don't we go back a second and and read read my my friend Ian McLaren talking about the holidays and talking about courtesy. And and this is where where it says the service of a man, a woman, and a child is more than manners; it is the climax of courtesy. Courtesy is really doing unto others as you would be done unto, and the heart of it lies in a careful consideration for the feelings of other people. It comes from putting oneself in his neighbor's place and trying to enter into his mind. We, we, we call that empathy these days, I think. And it demands a certain suppression of oneself and a certain delicate sympathy with one's neighbor. So far as our abounding egotism reigns, we are bound to be discourteous because we shall be so blindly immersed in our own affairs that we cannot even see the things of others. So far as we break the bonds of self and project ourselves into the life of our brother man, we are bound to be discourteous. Sort of like that motorcycle that's blasting outside my my building right now. Because we shall now be interested in what is dear to him. This man also has a family and a business. This man also has had sicknesses and trials. Imagine. We must not therefore talk without ceasing about our children, our interests, our afflictions, our life. This man also has a church and a creed and opinions of his own and a history. Remarkable. We must not therefore assume that our kind of religion and our traditional views and our favorite notions and our particular set make the whole world round this man beside us has uh, this man beside us also has a hard fight with an unfavoring world with strong temptations with doubts and fears with wounds of the past which have skinned over but which smart when they are touched it is a fact and when this occurs to us, we are moved to deal kindly with him, to bid him be of good cheer, to let him understand that we are also fighting a battle. We are not bound to irritate him, nor press hardly upon him, nor help his lower self. 
we must feel as a brother towards the man beside us and say to him the things that we should like to have said to us and treat him as we should desire to be treated when our hands are hanging down and our hearts are heavy. And this is the very essence of courtesy. Just because the machinery of life is so apt to be heated, one keenly appreciates those who are ever deftly pouring in the cooling oil by their patience and their tact, their sweetness and their sympathy. And one resents keenly that class of people who are honest and well-meaning, but who are persistently discourteous. No man has any right to lecture his neighbor or to intrude upon his neighbor's privacy or to wound his neighbor's feelings. And when he does so in his role of the plain-spoken man, then he ought to be made to understand the difference between reality and rudeness and taught to keep a civil tongue in his head. No doubt there are occasions when courtesy is no longer an obligation, but practically they may be limited to a few experiences fortunately very rare in life. Surely there is no one who does not desire to live after the rule of courtesy, and there is no way of attaining this fine spirit except by keeping high company. Just as we live in the atmosphere of nobility, where people are generous and chivalrous and charitable and reverent, shall we learn the habit of faultless manners and acquire the mind which inspires every word and deed with grace. And the highest fellowship is upon every man, is, upon, is open unto every man, and he that walks therein catches its spirit. For the very perfect knight of human history, who carried himself without reproach from the cradle to the grave, was our Lord and Master Christ. And the rudest who follow him will take on the character of his gentleness. <sighs> Christianity wants nothing so much in this world as sunny people, and the old are hungrier for love than for bread. The, the, the oil of joy is very cheap, and if you can help the poor on with gar a garment of praise, it will be better for them than blankets. That was from 1902. Think about that. I mean, right now at Christmas. Think about, I mean, gosh, I mean, it just, it still makes me well up when I hear it. And you just think about, like, just when, when it, when, when it says, like, I mean, this man also has a church and a creed and opinions of his own and a history. He has a hard fight with an unfavoring world, with strong temptations, with doubts and fears, with wounds of the past which have skinned over which smart when they are touched. So when you're thinking about if, you, if, if you've got a boss or a manager or a spouse, or an in-law, or somebody who's kind of hard on you. Maybe what we do, think about it. I don't know that you can do this when you're not sober. Because when you're drunk, all you can do is think about yourself, and how pissed off you are, how resentful you are, how you're not getting what you need, all those things. But you think about, if you could just read that in your mind over and over again, when you start feeling that, what did I not get, or that resentment, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm feeling waves of shame right now that I, that I have held resentments when I could have read this and thought, wait a second, what can I do to help you? Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, 
when you're like, damn, I'm going to sleep alone. Just think for a second that person that you passed in the street and what kind of hard life they're living right now. No matter how good it looks on the outside. Maybe they're going home to a husband who's going to beat their ass or you're going home to a wife who's wasted or maybe going home to a child with sickness. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe you're not getting a bonus this, this Christmas because your your company's lo, lo, losing money. Or maybe you're a manager and maybe you need to just, you know, kind of ask that employee like, hey, you know, can I, can I maybe, can I help you? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't have enough money to give you a bonus this Christmas, but, but, but maybe we can work on something. You know, I mean, just somehow trying to put yourself in their shoes and think what's going on inside there and the essence of courtesy. And I've read this <clears throat> before and I apologize to all my listeners that, you know, I seem to be retreading some ground here, but I mean, I guess, I guess that's what I'm doing, but you know, dance with the one who brung you, so to speak. So here's Robert Frost in 1915 in the poem A Servant to Servants and I like the part where he says we've a good piece of shore that ought to be worth something and may yet but I don't count on it as much as Lynn he looks on the bright side of everything including me he thinks I'll be alright with doctoring but it's not medicine Low is the only doctors dared to say so. It's rest I want. There, I have set it out. From cooking meals for hungry hired men and washing dishes after them. From doing things over and over that just won't stay done. By good rights, I ought not to have so much put on me. But there seems no other way. Len says one steady pull more ought to do it. He says the best way out is always through. And I agree to that, or insofar as that I can see no way out but through, least ways for me, and then they'll be convinced. It's not that Lynn don't want the best for me. Whew. You know, there's just a lot in that, and that's just a very short segment of a very beautiful poem and long, but you think about what that person is, you know, the, the, the narrator is saying in that poem about, you know, a lot of what Robert Frost sometimes says, the phraseology that gets used, like in the mending wall, you know, um, the neighbor who says good fences make good neighbors. And I don't think Robert Frost is real keen on that phrase. And I'm not so sure, at least the way I read the poem. And I don't think he's saying like, hey, good fences do, in fact, make good neighbors. But every time I always use that phrase, I'm always like, good fences make good neighbors because I think of Robert Frost. And then I have to check myself going, did he really mean it in a positive way? You know, as an instruction, you know, does a good fence, you know, a well-maintained fence? I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, it's a, those, I mean, those New England sayings. I was educated up there for a good part of my life and um, a very meaningful part of my life. And there is something about that Massachusetts, New England hard scrabble cold you know vermont massachusetts new hampshire that 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 maine a little bit of connecticut maybe but uh you know that 
they got some wisdom up there, I guess, in them hills. <laughs> anyway, um, but here he says, you know, that, that lens is the best way out is always through. And, and, and what he or she is saying is, that's what they're telling me is just like, give it one more pull and let's do it. But it's, it's, it's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And I, I, I've got, I've only got limited time and I've been working and I've just been my nose to the grindstone and, and it's going to get, it's going to take me down this time. Maybe, you know, um, you know, it's, it's the, get those things done that never seem to get done. And there's just more and more, but you know, the best way out is always through, you know, and, and, and I think that if we just focus on that phrase for a moment in what I'm talking about in keeping it simple and, and those three horsemen, this is going to be tough. The holidays are tough. There's lots of ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas could have beens, Christmas futures that'll never be, Christmas Christmases of good times, you know, when you were when you were the life of the party and and your kids were looking up to you and and your wife was rosy-cheeked and so happy and 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 your friends and your customers or your partners or your colleagues were just you were the man or the woman and it was all right. And maybe you're a long way from those days, you know. Maybe then you're thinking about the, you know, sitting there with uh uh you know cranberry juice spilled down your shirt cuz you you know you 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 stumbled into your senior vice president you know and or or you were in the bathroom doing drugs with a coworker or maybe you finally had it and let somebody have it at, and whatever i mean just and that waking up in the morning and Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or the New Year's or whatever, which just you're so wretched and sick and you're lying on the cold tile of the bathroom floor and you, you just feel that coolness on your cheek and it's like the only thing on your body that's not on fire and there isn't anything left in you left to not throw up. And you just and you're trying and your head hurts so badly you need some sort of drugs or suppositories or something to keep yourself from vomiting all day and into the night and your family's out Christmas shopping and you're just down there, you know, in bed sick and you can't watch TV because your eyes hurt so badly from what you did and all you can think of is what did I say? What did I do? Oh my God, what's going to happen when I go back to work? Who's going to be upset? Who did I offend? Who didn't I offend? Who, who did, what, you know, did I, what? Oh my God. Yeah, those aren't great Christmas paths, are they? You know? And that's what we're going to avoid, you know? And the way we avoid is the best way out is always through. And we get through it, but we, we stay the course. We keep it simple. We stay sober. We stay in touch with our sponsor. We read the big book. You just get old school and you read Living Sober and you get yourself some ice cream. Or you get yourself a mint uh, candy, a hard candy, you know, because that sugar will, will, will just kind of sate that, that craving. Maybe you walk around the block and just breathe in the, the air and maybe there's the scent of pine needles or, or chimneys that are smoking. You just smile and you thank God that you're sober and you're not getting pulled over for a DUI on Christmas or New Year's or getting into more trouble than that. 
Instead, you're just keeping it right there. You're getting, you're getting through because you're getting out of it. You're going to get out by getting through. And you know what you're going to do? You know what I'm going to do? You're going to pick up the phone. You're going to go to a meeting. You're going to go to another meeting. You're going to call your sponsor. And then guess what we're going to do? We're going to go through that list on the phone. In my phone, I, I, I categorize. I don't, I don't put them under alphabetical with numbers or names or whatever. I, what I do is I just have, you know, little little initials that say like AA-JohnQ-and-what-meeting-I-know-the-person-from. And IC means inner, inner circle. Inner circle. Then maybe you got like cool people, this, whatever. That's how I do it. That way I just, I kind of sit there and I just, I just start at that top of that list of AA and I'll go, okay, cool. And I'll send the person a text. Hey, do you remember me? I was in this meeting. Like, you know, like my name's this, um, uh, are you doing okay? You know, call them up. Hey, it's Gregory. Hey, how are you doing? Um, and you just do that. And then you read, read, and you're not so drunk you can't, you know, you're not sitting there like, God, I can't read because I can't focus my eyes. No, you're, you're, you're fine. You know, you're not sitting there being like, well, I'll put another movie on and go through another half bottle of scotch. No, that's not what we're doing. That's not sexy. It's not cool. It's not responsible, but it's just so unhealthy and it's not the way to meet your creator. It's not the way to, to your higher power wants you to be alive and healthy and joyous and free and loving and to be there to be an instrument of your higher power the love that you can bring to someone else so the best way out with all respect to robert frost the best way out is through so uh, as we were as we've been doing and you know i, I the, the the old school mantra. I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, what's more old school than the big book and 12 and 12? But, you know, you go, go like living sober. I mean, touchstones, it's legit basics, great wisdom in there. And I was going sort of chapter by chapter in living sober, um, but I, I wanted to wanted to find something a little bit more right on point for the holidays and the month of December and what we're dealing with. And so I jumped to chapter 14, Fending Off Loneliness. Alcoholism has been described as the lonely disease, and very few recovered alcoholics argue the point. In fact, I would be surprised if any alcoholics argue the point. Looking back at the last years or months of our drinking, literally hundreds of thousands of us remember feeling isolated even when we were among a lot of happy celebrating people. We often felt a deep sense of not belonging even when we were che when we cheerfully acted sociable. Oh, you know, that's the thing is that reading these sometimes just makes my stomach hurt in not in a bad way, but like in that cringe of like, God, that was where I was. I mean, I, I it was like I was the fightingest inside, just irascible, obstreperous, vituperative, you know, whatever words you want to use, but just, just not happy. I remember at two o'clock in the morning telling a very important business associate of mine who did not work for me, who I worked for, um, 
you know, Christmas 2012, I just remember saying some things and I remember calling one of my assistants and on the next morning when I woke up and tried to find my clothes and my wallet and all this. And I'm like, God, where am I? And I remember just saying, you know, I'm getting fired from that client. And sure enough, two days later, there I was. And, um, and you know, um, I remember that very night being at home and having, you know, back, back where I live and, being um, at family and company business party, or Christmas party, and just being so, so angry at my life and so sad about the loss that I'd sustained that year and the year, you know, just that, that I was, I was, I was so unhappy until I was drunk again. And then, you know, I just wasn't present. I just, it was like I was saying, hey, God, I'm going to go, I got this on my own, you know, like I'm, and, and, and I just took myself away from him, from my higher power. The lonely road ahead looked bleak, dark, and unending. It was too painful to talk about and to avoid thinking, thinking about it. We soon drank again. Isn't that the truth? And I'm skipping around, but we discover, but can hardly dare to believe right at first that we are not alone. We are not totally unlike everybody after all. And there's so much that's good in this chapter. And it's, it is no more cowardly to use help in recovering from a drinking problem than it is to use a crutch if you have a broken leg. A crutch is a beautiful thing to those who need it and to those who see its usefulness. Thoughts of a drink seem to sneak into our minds much more smoothly and slyly when we are alone. And when we feel lonesome and an urge for a drink strikes, it seems to have a special speed and strength. Such ideas and desires are much less likely to occur when we are with other people, especially other non-drinkers. If they do occur, they seem less potent and more easily put aside while we are in touch with fellow AA members. Don't let yourself get too tired, too hungry, or too lonely. Check it out. If the notion of taking a drink crosses your mind anytime soon, pause to consider. As often as not, you are likely to find you are in one or more of those three high-risk conditions. Tired, hungry, lonely. Isn't that what your sponsor tells you? Halt. Hungry, angry, tired, lonely. Tell somebody fast, that at least starts to relieve the loneliness. I mean, I just, I love this book. I've told you guys how, you know, I, um, I found my, I found my grandfather's, one of his chips, you know, when he had died, and this is years and years ago when I, when my grandmother had died and I found a chip from AA, I think it was like a five-year chip or something like that. And, you know, I just, I just really, I think about the things he said, and I know they were coming from this book. You know, they were coming from this book back in the 70s, you know, and and <clears throat> these lessons. And I thought, you know, we're never alone. We've got each other. We've got each other. Um, just remember that. There's, there's, it, there's always a meeting 
go online. I mean, call your sponsor, call the people you sponsor, call another alcoholic, get online and, and, and go to Instagram at extravagant promises podcast and leave a comment for me or, or shoot me a direct message. Send me an email at extravagant promises podcast at gmail.com and say, Hey, I'm alone. Hey, I, I don't know. Do you have a moment to talk? And I'll send you my cell number and we'll talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. You can, you're, you're going to help me stay sober. You're going to help me stay, stay. You're going to help me go from isolation to solitude if I'm alone. You know, you're going to help me go from, from solitude and loneliness or isolation to community. You're going to help me get into that world where I can be by myself, but I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not, it's not just myself. Think about those words of courtesy, Ian McLaren. It's available on the internet. Just if you if you Google courtesy, um, Christmas and McLaren, Ian McLaren, or hard hard battle that kind of thing, it'll it'll come up. I love each and every one of you, and I'm here for you. As long as you, you know, as long as I can. Kind of, count on you not to breach my anonymity you can call me you can email me you can dm me i will be here i will respond i promise absolutely promise extravagant promises podcast at gmail.com extravagant promises podcast on instagram if we're painstaking about this phase of our development we will be amazed before we're halfway through we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, tonight, and every night of December and every night of the holidays through the New Year's, God, please let every person who's struggling, who's fighting that hard battle, who's feeling the cold against their cheek, who's maybe feeling the tightening of the belt because times are tough and they don't have any money for presents or things like that, let their hard battle be known to their fellow man. Let their hard battle be known to the person who, fought, who, who passes them on the street. And let that fellow man or woman and let the person who passes them feel their hard battle so that they can look at them in the eye and say, Good evening, brother. Good evening, sister. I love you. What can I do for you? Or just a kind smile or a pat on the back, a handshake. Maybe just a, 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 a helpful, helping word. Let's do that to our family. Let's do it to our friends. Let's be that, that hand 
when when that when that person their hands are down their chin is down you know they're 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 not not many not many more blows can fall on them before they crumble let us not be another blow let us not be another heavy heavy weight upon their bar that they shoulder let us be the hand that lifts the bar with them let us be you know another horse that can help pull that cart help them stay sober help them stay serene help them find your love as you would have us do it i love all of you stay strong find other people help other people smile love yourself do not slip this holiday